Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 293 of the Spoiler Alert podcast, brought to you by MovieOutsiders.com. This is Mike. I'm here with Danny. And tonight we're reviewing the new Netflix Spike Lee joint, The Five Bloods. Danny, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing really well. How about yourself? Doing just great. Thank you. You know, you said this was new. This one's been on Netflix for a little while now, right? Like this is a, a couple weeks old, a couple, maybe a couple months now. Okay. All right. I mean, relatively right. new. What, relatively I mean, new. New, newer in than quarantine. most movies out there. Yeah. Right. right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, and his first uh, full length since Black Klansman, right? So it's not like we missed one. Was that one, two years ago or just last year? I think it was two years ago. Okay. Wow. But it could have been Time last flies. year. I, I feel like quarantine it was itself this past feels year. multiple it, years I long. Yes. I totally agree. Like, yes. Like the last time we had Christmas was when I was like nine years old in my mind at this point because it's just so long between like I don't I don't remember anything other than this. Time is just surreal right now. Just life is completely esoteric. Like it's just weird. Yeah, it's like a bottle episode of a TV show. You know, like the the episode yeah. of Friends when they're stuck in like the 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 vestibule at the ATM or the the <laughs> Seinfeld in the Chinese restaurant or something. Yes. Where, it's just kind of going crazy. Like I'm used to, you know, cutting away and going somewhere else and the characters out and about and it's really claustrophobic when they're not and you sort of lose lose the thread a little bit. Yeah, I hear you. I'm, I'm living it too. At least we've got Mulan coming up. We're actually going to have like a real studio release that we can pay an arm and a leg for and watch on Disney+. Plus. Right. right. At least we can pay $30 to see a movie. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Like I, you know, if you, you think about it, subscription. Oh, you boy. think about it though. If you go to go to see a movie that's not a matinee and you get anything to eat or drink, it's going to be thirty bucks anyway. So, you know, you you keep it to the groceries in the house and the snacks you got around, and it's kind of a wash at the end of the day, right? I suppose. I suppose you're right, yeah. especially if you're taking yeah. your family. Uh, you're not yeah. seeing a movie for for thirty dollars or less. Let's get into this one. Why don't you hit us with a, a tight plot recap for De Five Bloods? Yeah, so De Five Bloods is really the story of four Vietnam veterans, four Black Vietnam veterans who are returning to the site of the war in present day, and they're going there uh, for a couple of reasons: one, to recover the remains of their fallen comrade uh, from uh, the Vietnam era. And as well as to retrieve a fortune in gold bricks that they had discovered about 50 years ago, but was lost in battle during the war. They deal a lot with the unfair treatment that black GIs received both then and now. They meet a corps of minesweepers along the way, get entangled in international espionage, and spill a lot of blood. And that's The Five Bloods, or Duh Five Bloods as it's titled. Yeah, what'd you think of it? You know, it's really, it, this is a tough question to answer because, first off, full disclosure, I watched it in three sittings. Like, it was ah, over the course okay. of three nights. It's it's a two and a half hour long movie. Two and a half movie, hours. So it's a long Kind of lengthy. Yeah. But, but, but despite the fact that I, I just couldn't dedicate the, the dedicated time to sit down and watch it all at once, I liked it. But I'm really struggling to come up with the things that made me like it. In general, I found it an enjoyable film. But I'd really struggle to, like, tell somebody why they should go watch it. I, you know, I think that I appreciated that it really did keep moving. I think that it started quick and kept going. Yeah. There, wasn't, there, was, there wasn't a ton of, of lull or... 
I don't even know the right words to describe it. I guess I just felt that for a two and a half hour long war film, it was awfully fast paced. This is no Terrence Malick's Thin Red Line or right, something right. like that, where it's just a you know a, a, quite a think piece. Even Apocalypse Now is is kind of like yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're settling in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- this was not that. And so for that reason, I liked it. In general, I liked it. I just don't know what else to say as to why. How about you? Uh, I liked it overall. So I do think it, it was a well-made movie. I will say honestly that I think the first half of the movie, I was loving it. I thought some of the acting, I, I don't remember the last time I saw acting that good. I was moved. I was moved to tears a couple of times. And then the second mm-hmm. half of the movie, I felt just sort of became like a much more generic kind of thriller. And they were just sort of moving through the motions. Like once we got into like landmines and gunfights, it, it really lost my interest as opposed to me getting really intense and like oh, sucked into the moment. Um, so I thought it was a, a really powerful first half. And the second half was it was OK. So like overall, I think it was a good movie, but. I, I just wish we got more of the first part. Okay, yeah, I I think that that's uh, a fair critique. Speaking of the acting, I mean, you at the tag of our last episode, you mentioned that this we're going to be reviewing this mo- movie, and it stars Chadwick Boseman. He's not in the movie an awful lot. No. His character is is appears strictly in flashbacks right. and it, not a lot of screen time in a two and a half hour film for him. Obviously, the best known actor of the film, but I do agree with you that the the four vets who are returning are really fantastic. I don't know any of their other work. Like you, you've seen a lot more movies, I think, and you probably recognized these guys. But for me, they were new faces. Yeah. The- um, the guys who played Melvin and Otis were both in The Wire, the TV show on, on HBO. Okay, uh, a show that I watched but didn't yep. even didn't even piece it together. Okay. Well, and and Clark Peters who plays Otis here, uh, he played a character named Lester on The Wire. He is phenomenal in this movie. I really enjoyed um, his character here, his acting, and Delroy Lindo plays Paul, who's the the veteran who. Um, has probably the most trouble, the most PTSD. Most PTSD. Most PTSD. Yeah. He's got his son yeah. along with him, and I thought that was this was the best role he's ever been in, and I just was really, really riveted. And he's got a couple of scenes where he's just, and some of them Spike Lee seems to give like some some space to, and he's really breaking down, and you're really in the moment, and the the scenes about that, and those were really effective for me. And then there are other ones where it's it's not really what the scene's about, but he's just having like a real problem. He's really struggling. And then we just sort of move on or the characters kind of move around him, but he's acting so well, like in the background even. And it's just like, wow, that was really impressive acting. And so I, I thought he was fantastic. I thought uh, Clark Peters was great. Chad Mc, Chadwick Boseman was really good. Just, he didn't have a huge role. Um, Jean Renault is in this movie briefly, and it was great to see him. And I even liked him and like the accent he was using in this piece as opposed to his normal accent. So I, I like scene after scene, I kept just writing like acting is great. Like I'm really impressed. Like wow, I'm really enjoying the acting. And then by the end, my notes just kind of become what? Why are they doing this? What? <laughs> Why is this happening? What? So it just sort of kind of goes to that more a little more generic um, place, I guess I thought. Yeah, so I mean that gets really to the, the the first thing that I did struggle with. I mean, you're, you're jotting down what what like I I guess what I wrote down was there were a lot of 
moments where I just asked, how did we get here? I think that at least half a dozen times, a scene would change so abruptly that I wondered, like, where was the editing in this? Like, what got left on the cutting room floor that took us from point A to point B with either one of the characters or the whole group of them? And I mean, like, spatially, like, in in the movie. Like, like not that we needed, you know, breakdown of character development or anything like that, but I seriously wondered, well, where did this group of people pointing guns at them come from? Like, like right. all, all of a sudden there'd be a flashback and then they'd be in some deep... And I had no idea how they got there. Like, how, how did they get in this deep... What, what's happening? Now, some of that is the time-hopping nature of the flashbacks. I think some of that is probably you watching this over three sittings because I, I didn't struggle <laughs> as much sort of following that. Although there is a moment, you're right, where there's some characters who show up and start pointing guns at them and you're sort of like, who are these guys? And then you only right. find out later. Like, it, it gets explained. It's just sort of after the fact. You're just as confused as the characters are. Um they sort of guess who it is and, and they end up being proven correct. But uh, I, I think that, I think some of that is fair. Um, I will say though, the, the flashback scenes. So the, the movie is told sort of in present day in Vietnam, that the guys sort of going back, looking for their fallen comrades, searching for the gold. And then it flashes back to their time in Vietnam. And the things that Spike Lee did, first of all, he changes the aspect ratio. So it goes from widescreen to like, four by three or a tighter aspect ratio. He uses uh, a different film or film stock to shoot the Vietnam scenes. So they look like grainy or kind of old war films from the seventies. And then what I thought was really interesting is the older actors play them, their younger selves. So, you know, here's like a 60 plus 70 year old Delroy Lindo acting alongside, you know, 20 something year old Chadwick Boseman and they're both young men in Vietnam, but he's being played by his older self. And it just was a really an interesting choice. I feel like these days you either hire younger actors or you use like the de-aging technology of CGI to make them look younger and thinner. And here Spike really sort of leaned in to, you know, I don't know if it's because, hey, you know, they sort of mentally never left Vietnam or that just the the fact that they were able to grow up and grow old, and Chadwick Boseman's character who passed away wasn't. So all the all the people who are young in that those flashbacks end up dying, and it's the old guys who are the ones sort of telling the tale or reliving it. But I found it really interesting and really effective, and I'm glad he didn't do some sort of CGI or makeup or younger actors or something. I thought it was really fresh and interesting. I actually had that as a what's up with because I was going to legitimately ask you like what was the intent of that because obviously it it stands out it's very noticeable yeah. and and all I could and the conclusion that that I kept coming to was like they never really left like this just haunts them every single day of their lives and that's why he had them as older men in the flashback scenes because yeah. I mean, if, if he doesn't change the aspect ratio and the film stock, I mean, who you wouldn't even know that it was a flashback, right? <laughs> the, the actors look exactly the same. I mean, right. Right. The, the, the gray hair, everything. <laughs> so yeah, beards, gray hair. They're like, they're not moving real well. You know, they're kind of like all right. jerky carrying guns and <laughs> just kind of lumbering around. Um, one other thing, though, that I did – I struggled with. I mentioned that just sort of the back half of the movie seems to kind of go off the rails. This movie, I understand, was originally written just 
I guess, a little bit more generically. In fact, uh, there was a time where um, Oliver Stone was attached to direct this film. Of course. The, the bones of the story were largely the same. And when it came to Spike Lee's attention, he and his co-writer actually went back and sort of retooled it to be about black soldiers and their experience and the challenges that they had both in the war prior to the war and, and then since. And again, those were the scenes and the acting and the characters I was so engaged with. And then every time it cut back to this kind of generic by the numbers, we need to shoehorn hmm. in like a, you know, again, we have to put a minefield in here and we have to have, you know, one guy gets blown up and one guy almost gets blown up. And then there's a kidnapping and then there's a, it just right. like, I wish he would have thrown away more of the script, you know, like if it inspired him to do something really interesting, I wish he just kind of would have stuck with that. Cause it just was so, it was like yeah. just kind of a little more disappointing as it went along and just, then it became like grumpy old Vietnam vets, you know, like they're, they're, they're killing all the young Vietnam Vietnamese and it just kind of, I don't know. It, the first half is really good, I thought. I think that that's an interesting point to make, too. I, had Oliver Stone ended up at the reins for this one, I mean, who needs another Oliver Stone Vietnam movie, right? Like, I mean, it, if if you found the second half a little too paint-by-numbers and exactly what you'd expect out of a war film, I mean, what would the rest of it have been right, with, right. <laughs> with Oliver Stone directing? But what I will say, something that I struggle with, and this goes back to episode one that we recorded of the Spoiler Alert first, podcast. First movie is a Spike Lee joint. The Spike Lee, like, little flourishes that he always has to throw in, I find distracting and kind of kind of silly and 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 goofy and and, and like he, I mean it happened in Old Boy. I mean probably the least Spike Lee looking movie that he ever did ever, was right. Old Boy, right? But he still threw in like the the weird like close-ups on posters hanging in the the room and things like that. Same sort of thing here. Like another kind of Spike Lee uh trope would be to have like 10 minutes of exposition on black history to start the movie, right? Which we get in in this film. Yep. It's it's kind of painting pictures of black life in yep. the late 1960s, right? Uh, and, you know, he does weird things like they show the moon landing and, you know, to explain the location of where you're seeing things being filmed, it's the moon, which is kind of annoying. And, yeah. uh like, you know, they, there's a reference that they make to Aretha Franklin or an Aretha Franklin song. So for, you know, three quarters of a second, you see a picture of Aretha Franklin on the screen, right? We, we zip out of the action. We see a photo of Aretha Franklin. Like, that happens over and over and over again. Yes. Not just in this movie, but a lot of Spike Lee movies. And I find it just kind of goofy and unnecessary. Like in Black Klansman, uh, when the main character is talking to the woman and, like, pictures of movie posters just fill the yes, screen. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. They yeah. come floating by like yep. when they're walking. Yeah, exactly yeah. like that. I, unnecessary and distracting and weird and and ultimately just a little annoying. Like, I, I don't know why he feels that the movie doesn't stand on its own without the cute, quick-cut editing that's going on there. Yeah, I don't know where why why he feels that's necessary. I, I did notice De Moon and sort of just was left with, like, why? Why do that? Um, <laughs> right. Especially, like, the footage of the moon landing. I mean, I'm sorry. That's a fairly famous moment in human history. Most people know that that's taking place on the moon. Right. So, like, I don't know why we even need a title card there, let alone right. the moon. Yeah. Um, one quick thing on the editing, and maybe I was just weird about it. Every time somebody hugged somebody in this movie, 
the camera would start over one person's shoulder, right? Like I lean in to give you a hug. And then as we sort of stop hugging, the camera's on the other side, right? Like there's always that edit. So now it's, you see me sort of playing away. That's fairly common. But in this movie, every time a character went to give a hug, let's say, you know, person A hugs person B, when it cuts to the other side, instead of them already hugging and kind of ending the hug, it would be like like hugging again. And it happened like four or five different times. I was like, is this just an editing mistake? It seemed like such a conscious choice and really only when characters touched or hugged. And I was like, I don't know why you're consciously doing, like you're leaving like 10 frames too many in here every time. I didn't <laughs> you get keep it. Like logging, you keep logging into your IMDb account to like log a continuity error. Like right. happened right. again next time. Right. Another continuity happens at 2137. Yeah. It happens at 2141. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. That just it seemed like an odd choice. What's up with that? What's up with that? So... One of the big what's up with for me in this movie is part of their plan is to to find the remains and bring the remains home of their friend, their fallen comrade, whom whom they all loved and adored. And they find him and they don't do with his remains. They just leave him well, and walk away. I kept, like, I kept wondering if if they like actually like shoved him into a backpack or something like that. <laughs> like I didn't know. Did they just take the skull and like because like they got out there to find the gold and they had backpacks ready to take the gold, but I can't imagine disassembling a skeleton and throwing it in a backpack. Right, and I'm sure trekking so I'm across sure Southeast Asia. Yeah, I'm sure they didn't. So that's like a what's up with why leave Norman? Like because your whole half of your part, half of your goal is to get him. And then what's up with one of their fallen comrades steps on a landmine and dies. And I don't know why they can't like report that one of their colleagues stepped on a landmine and died. Like it's, it's a horrible, tragic, awful accident. I don't know why that wouldn't be something you could just like admit and deal with or report. Instead they lie and try and say like, Oh no, he's just back there. He sprained an ankle and we left him some water. And it's like, I I mean, the authorities in Vietnam know there are active landmines from the war still around. This has to happen. You're with three landmine experts. Instead, they kidnap the landmine experts. And I, just, I guess, like I just didn't understand why they why that was necessary. I guess the only the only thing that I could think of is that due to that accident, questions are going to start getting asked that they don't want to answer about why they've suddenly got a crap ton of gold that they're hauling back to the United States and. And, you know, maybe this trip was kind of on the DL, right? I mean, they had to get some some sneaky guides to get For back sure. there and, and I'm stuff. I'm sure they wouldn't, and... like, show the, 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 you know, the authorities, like, let's look at my backpack. I mean, it's sort of like, I'm going to hide everything in my backpack behind this bush, and then I'm going to call the right. cops and report that my friend got hurt, right? Like, right, right, I don't understand why would. right. Um, also, I just have to say, both what's up with and what a tense scene it was, the son of Delroy Lindo's character, Paul, meets a woman in a bar who's like there to clean up landmines. And then within about 10 minutes of screen time from their meeting, the guys are out in this field with um, a a metal detector finding the gold. I was sweating through my shirt every time because every time they found something, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to be a landmine. They're going to dig up what they think is a little piece of gold and it's going to be a landmine. And it was just over and over and over because there's been a landslide and the, the gold is sort of sprinkled throughout this hill. Right, and, right. Oh my gosh, I couldn't. And then when it wasn't, I was like, wow, what a, what a great 
like psych out. I was really impressed with what Spike Lee had done as a writer and director because I was so tense oh, I during what should have been a really joyful scene for them of finding the gold because it was like this should like I'm terrified. And then of course the fears were realized and it just kind of became oh never mind guys stood on a landmine. And then the scene the scene in which it happened was really telegraphed too. Like it, it was yes. one of those where it's like oh you know exactly what's going to happen in ten seconds. He's walking yeah. slowly yeah. away and backwards and fighting and like yep he's going to be the one. So it just was I was so impressed and then immediately. So to get to get to the scariest scene for me and the part that I couldn't handle. What's up with that, like, floating market on the river where they chop the head off a snake and try yeah. to, like, sell it to them? Like, for food? Like, I think that they were trying to sell them the, the headless snake for food. I don't know what else you do with a headless snake. I, I, I couldn't imagine ever. And then there's a scene later where Paul's character is walking through, or Paul is walking through the the jungle and a snake falls from a tree on him. Like he shot that thing with a machine gun after he got it to the ground at least 50 times. And I would have kept going like unloaded the entire well, plus magazine. Bit him. I mean, like it falls on yeah. him, bits, bites him. Paul's last whole 10 minutes are just a constant stream of what's up with. Like it kind of becomes almost funny. There's like a three minute scene of Delroy Lindo just kind of screaming at the camera. He, it's like the snakes when they fall on him kind of look like rubber snakes. Um, he keeps saying he's getting <laughs> with salt in the Vaseline. And he says it so many times like it's a cliche. And I'm like, I have never heard that. And it sounds revolting. And yet he Not keeps pleasant. saying it over and over. Like, did people put salt in the Vaseline? Is this like a joke? Anyway, very strange. Very um, strange. But overall, fun, interesting movie, great acting. And what's up with the overuse of Marvin Gaye music? Like, the, the whole yeah. soundtrack, almost exclusively Marvin Gaye. And, like, they're even going to, like, deep cuts as in, like, if you bought, like, the anniversary CD <laughs> of the album, What's Going right. On, that has, like, right. all the, like, instrumental demos and stuff like that. Right. They've got some of those in there. It really got, it got a little played. Yeah. Well, my understanding is the characters themselves are named after the Temptations. Oh, so that Marvin, makes sense. Otis, okay. Dave, and Paul, and I guess Norman was the their manager or a songwriter for the Temptations. Oh, so I was surprised there wasn't more Temptations music in there. But I actually thought Spike Lee did a good job of doing sort of a very, you know, era specific Vietnam type movie, and we didn't get all the normal the Doors, songs. we didn't Creedence, get the Doors, we didn't get all, all along the Watchtower. Watch yeah. <laughs> So he was able to, like, keep those songs at bay, so I was kind of impressed. So I actually thought the music yeah. was pretty good to the whole movie. All right, all right. Buddy, are you ready for five questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do this. Listener submitted questions. Thanks, listener. I'm going to start with number one. You already just answered it. What were they supposed to do with the snakes from the lady on the boat market? <laughs> I like, This person wrote, I get the oranges, but what's with the snakes? Was it, like, a pet? Was it food? Was it to get yeah. venom? Like, what are they I, supposed to do? I, I, I think it was supposed to be food. I think that there was a comment where they talked about, like, it tastes like chicken or how do you eat this? Like, oh, how do you prepare okay. it? Like, I, I mean, never in a million years. A headless snake to me is still a snake. Got it. Question yeah. two. The genre of old guys reuniting, catching up, old wounds being reopened is a bit of a genre unto itself. Do you like this genre? And do you think this type of film has the capacity to connect with younger viewers or is it really geared towards older people? That's a great question. Um, 
as far as the genre in and of itself goes, I don't know that I have a strong opinion one way or the other. I guess what I would say is like when I think about movies like that, I think about characters like Morgan Freeman and like like those kind of guys. This movie, I think, pulled it off way better. I think putting it in a dramatic context instead of a comedic context, which is where I think that these you know old pals reuniting typically lives, uh, was fantastic and. Certainly, nothing about this screamed to me for, you know, the AARP audience. Like, I thought that this movie canon should connect with younger viewers. Now, I mean, it does have an egregious amount of swearing and and pretty gratuitous violence that I, you know, I wouldn't want my kids to watch it. But uh, no, I I think it's great. Speaking of, speaking though of the the old guys getting together and, and reuniting, how annoying did it get? There are handshakes and slaps that would Ooh, go on for minutes went, at a time. They were the, robust. The, the runtime of this movie could have been cut significantly if we just saw that happen once. But they always seem to need to hug and high five. And when it happens, boy, does it go. Right. It, it goes gotta, for a while. You got to yeah. sink into your seat a little there and just wait for it. <laughs> uh, right. Question number three. What is your favorite Spike Lee joint? Uh, do the right thing. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I like that movie a lot. Got it. Question he, number four. Oh, go ahead. He Got Game would be up there, too. Oh, I never saw that one. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that's another good one. Question number four. Do you think the pandemic in the United States has permanently changed movies or the way movies are going to be released in the future? Is this a permanent change or are we going to go back to business as usual in a year or whenever? We will go back to business as usual, but I I guess I don't know if business will be business as usual at that point. I, it, it just makes me wonder, you know, there's been such a backlash and such pushback against video on demand and direct to streaming. And I mean, Hollywood hates the fact that, you know, a movie can just be... You hit play on Amazon and you don't need to go to a movie theater. They don't need to get the reels. And for a while, I think that they were successful in keeping that a little bit at bay. And now that like there's just no other distribution options, if you're going right. to see Milan, you're going to buy it on Disney+. Plus. If you're, if you're going to have a movie with an audience at all, you're going to sell it to Hulu or Amazon or whatever. Right. More people have gotten used to it. So it just makes me wonder, like, I do think theaters will reopen. It makes me wonder how many people are going to be willing now to go shell out additional dollars for films. Right. Yeah. Well, that brings us to question number five. This listener says, movie theaters are opening up across the country. I mean, officially, uh, I think tomorrow, uh, the 21st, you're you're getting theaters open, both with some like nostalgic movies as well as the new Russell Crowe film, Unhinged. Then you got the new Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure 3. Um, and then in a, a week after that, you get Tenet. This person says, uh, when will we go be back to the theater? And what will be our first back in the theater film that we're going to be talking about? Boy, we're going to have to discuss this, aren't we? Like, are, are you ready to go sit in the movie You're theater? You're the one in the hot seat. I don't even have to answer this question. <laughs> I just have to either agree I mean, or disagree and judge your answer. I'm very excited to see Tenet. So maybe within a month. Okay. I mean, uh, I just uh, uh, so that that'll be my answer. We can call that the answer. Sure. I, I've only I've only heard of AMC opening reopening. Have you heard other yeah. chains announcing plans? Who is Marcus coming back to yeah. Wisconsin? Okay, yeah. Marcus All is right. coming back. Cinemark, yeah. Okay, wow, yeah. interesting. Yeah. All right. 
All right. Well, that's five questions. Thank you, listeners. Nice job, buddy. Thank Uh, you, listeners. To Five Bloods, I thought it was really well done. I would watch this movie. I don't know if I'd watch the whole movie again, but I'd probably watch the first 90 minutes again. I I would definitely tell people to see it. um, It was interesting looking it up. Got great critical reviews and a low audience score. And after having sat through it, I was surprised to see the low audience score. I thought that it was really well done. And, you know, I can get past the Spike Lee little little tropes that that wear on me a little bit and appreciate the fact that it was stellar acting and an interesting story. All right, what do we got coming up next? Well, well, coming up next, we've got... Yeah, we've got a Best Picture winner uh, from the Best Picture Choosing Machine from the 1960s. It's In the Heat of the Night, and I know this is one that you and I have both actively been looking forward to seeing and discussing, so we'll be doing that next. Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert Podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com, where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.